Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. I'm Lakshman Swami. For today's episode, we're excited to welcome Dr. Pete Clardy, Director of Medical Intensive Care at the Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. He's also the Program Director for the Harvard Combined Program in Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine. He's passionate about medical education, especially in the intensive care setting. Here's my discussion with Dr. Clardy. I want to talk a little bit today about what it means to be an intensivist. First of all, the word just sounds awesome. <laughs> it's a great title, yes. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So intensivists really describe clinicians who practice in an ICU setting. And it could be applied to people working in a surgical intensive care unit, medical intensive care unit, neurocardiac, you know, neonatal, <laughs> and sort of fill in the blanks. But, but basically folks who are focused on the delivery of critical care as their, as their major clinical effort. For me, what that has meant is training in internal medicine followed by a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care. The large majority of the work that I do is ICU-based. Here at this institution, what that means is that for two weeks at a time, I'll be the attending on service. I'll be charged with coordinating the care provided by the team, uh, organizing educational activities, running rounds, meeting with families, doing procedures, and that I have those responsibilities longitudinally for the service while I am the attending of record. Dr. Claudia, do you have any, any particular episode that you can think of that makes you really think about why this is the job for you? I, as a college student and even in my early medical career, was somewhat surprised by the degree to which senior physicians, folks in practice and folks in academics, were relatively negative about the profession. And I think that that was something that was hard for me to square early on in my training with my excitement about uh, being involved in medicine, being able to really have an impact in my patients' lives, to be able to uh, both care for folks, uh, to, to be an educator, um, and to really build my own knowledge base and, and clinical practice over time. And I felt very lucky, both in medical school and as a resident, to have really wonderful role models. In thinking a little bit about your particular question, I think as I finished medical school and was starting uh, my residency in internal medicine, I was drawn to cardiology. I found it uh, really appealing. I found the approaches to electrical or mechanical problems with the heart to be particularly interesting and compelling. But both as a, as a fourth-year medical student when I did a sub-internship in a medical ICU in New York City, um, and then particularly when I was an intern in Boston, I had a few experiences in the medical ICU that were really transformative. Perhaps the best example was right at the outset of my first rotation in the medical ICU as an intern when uh, I had a very dynamic team, a really brilliant and talented clinician as the attending. And the very first patient I saw was 21 years old with severe ARDS on an ECMO circuit. So walking into the ICU, I think I, I saw something that I really don't see much even now in my practice, which is a catastrophically ill young patient with single organ failure. And the opportunity that I had to care for that young man sort of over the course of his critical illness, to see him come off the circuit, to see him slowly recover, to see him 
uh, eventually get extubated and, and leave the ICU. And to see the way in which the entire team responded to his care, the attending, the fellow, the house staff, the respiratory therapist, the perfusionists who ran the ECMO circuit, you know, all of those things really had to work perfectly together. And I had this important piece of sort of seeing him every morning, rounding on all his strips, understanding what was going on, and and presenting that to the team, even when it was, I would say, substantially above my head and well beyond my experience, was really the time when I felt like the ICU was the place that I, I wanted to be. And I think that's something that a lot of students experience, whether in the ICU or somewhere else, where, at least for me, early in, in my clinical experience as a third year, I was thinking very much about what I was doing. And, you know, as I went through third year and now in fourth year, I'm seeing things very differently because I realize how much other people are involved in the care of the patient. I want to ask you about something that I, I've run across a lot, and I think a lot of medical students deal with in medicine, which is the Socratic method. So what's your take on, on how, let's focus on medical students for a minute. What's your take on how medical students can be the most involved in their learning? Because th there's so many ways for a student to learn in medicine. I mean, you, you can read, you can read endlessly, uh, you can do cases, you can, it, it, so what's your take? Yeah. I, th I think that it's a, it's, that is the $64,000 question, <laughs> you know, sort of how to best train young physicians to be inquisitive, to foster their own learning as a lifelong process rather than something that you need to do to get through the boards. And, and how do you do that in a way that supports the, the learner? I think there's a lot of right answers to this question. And I think when I see my colleagues teaching, I recognize things that I don't do myself, but that I can see are, are quite powerful. So I can tell you a little bit about my take on this and the advice that I often give to medical students or residents, particularly those if, who are struggling in, in the ICU, is to, to really think critically, to, to take a look at the problems in front of them and to try and break things into more bite-sized pieces. I, I think that when you come into a situation where you have a patient with 17 different problems, it can really be overwhelming. And I think that in the ICU particularly, but in, in medicine in general, we are inundated with way too much data. And so much of it sort of seems to live on the computer or down in radiology or somewhere else that people tend to get away from the bedside. I do think, though it sounds trite, that really the things that you need to learn are the things that you can see at the bedside, things that the patient tells you, things that you can deduce from your from your physical exam and that generally a plan of care that's kind of derived from everything that lives in the chart and everything that the ED said and everything that was there in the electronic note yesterday can sometimes distract people from what's really going on with the patient that that truth that reality sort of lives in the room with the patient so how do you go from you know too much data and uh, all of this sort of confusing information to something that resembles a plan and how do you do that in a way that fosters learning I think that being very explicit about having people say you know what is the number one problem you know I, I think some places organize plans of care by system which has some advantages but but really to think about about problems shock respiratory failure, GI bleed, stroke, to break things down into those components and then to really be explicit about what you think is going on mechanistically. Explain the pathophysiology. Explain to me what is going on with the patient. Explain what the possibilities are. 
What's the differential diagnosis? How are we going to break apart this particular problem into you know, all of the various possibilities? How are we going to evaluate that? What are the studies that we need to do that? And then how are we going to move forward with the, the care of the patient? And if you sort of work through problem by problem, I, I think it can be helpful. I do think that the Socratic method is helpful in this regard. We joke sometimes that you know we could round very fast in the ICU. <laughs> we could do it quickly, mm-hmm. but that doesn't always mean that we're doing it well. And it doesn't mean that we're always doing it in a way that supports that sense of discovery mm-hmm. that a trainee can have when they start to put those pieces together. I think some people think intensive care is so that you don't have to talk to patients. And from my perspective, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite. It's because you get to have these, yes, they're shorter, but these very, you know, equally as, as intense as the, as the medicine you're providing, these experiences, these interactions with, with patient families, with the patients themselves, where you really have to decide on a very individual level in a lot of cases what, what, what it really is best for the patient. Uh, you know, sorting, and you, you have to sort through so much stuff that the family brings, uh, good and bad. And I think that that's a lot of actually what draws me to it. I think the procedures, uh, it's, a, it's a cool aspect that you can kind of do things and get results. And and I think also, uh, you know, for me, acid-based physiology is really cool. And I did not think so when I <laughs> learned it in, you know, first and second year. I thought it was the worst. But when you start seeing in patients and you start to be able to actually take action based on what you see, uh, I think it's Yeah, there's a real immediacy to um, critical care. You know, a lot of it is you sort of see a problem, you do something, oh, that worked well, that didn't Mm -hmm. work so well. Um, You know, sort of learning from experience and having a lot of real-time data. I think that that's incredibly... Uh, appealing part for me of of practicing in the ICU. I completely endorse what you're saying uh, about communication skills really being mm-hmm. fundamental to um, to working in an ICU and and also probably undervalued or sure. underappreciated. I, I think mm-hmm. that the people skills, the team building skills, are are really critical to long term success. So uh, I, I think that both of those things are are, are really fundamental. Well, everyone, I, I hope you got a, a little bit of insight into what it's like to work in the ICU here today. Uh, if you're interested, definitely pursue it with your own faculty. Drop us a line. We'll be happy to talk to you about it more. Not that any of us are intensivists here at Radio Rounds yet, but uh, you know, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for uh, joining us, Dr. Clardy. Yes, thanks very much for having me. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Pete Clardy. Dr. Clardy mentioned a few terms I want to take a second to define. ARDS stands for Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, a life-threatening condition which prevents oxygen from getting from the lungs into the blood. ECMO stands for Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation, technology that is present in some ICUs which allows us to put oxygen in your blood bypassing the lungs. For more information on these critical care issues, check out the American Thoracic Society's webpage at www.thoracic.org. Search for their primer on critical care for patients and families for a great guide to ICU medicine. As we look ahead to next week, we're very excited to be speaking with Dr. Julius Yang, also from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Yang is a hospitalist and medical director of inpatient quality at BIDMC. Dr. Yang was instrumental in winning a $4.9 million innovation grant from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, to launch a post-acute care transitions program designed to improve patient outcomes and prevent avoidable cost in the high-risk period following acute care hospitalization. 
Look forward to that episode airing on our website and iTunes on November 4th. In the meantime, you can find new podcasts posted to our website every Sunday, as well as a complete list of past episodes for download and much, much more. Come visit our new website at www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team at Radio Rounds via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information and much more at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. Is an application to medical school in your future? Learn tips for admissions success in the new second edition of the Student Doctor Network Medical School Admissions Guide, available now in paperback and electronic formats through the SDN bookstore at studentdoctor.net. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine. Have a great week, everyone. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Lakshman Swamy, and one day we'll be your doctors. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Rounds.